Japan is very clearly a gospel poor country in that there's such a small amount of the population that are evangelical Protestant Christians. It's, it's actually around half a percent. So that's a very, very small amount of people. And so although these people do have money and they are generally speaking affluent, they're just lost and not um, content. Uh, they're not content with their affluence. That is Stephen Parsons, a missionary to Japan where he's been for 26 years with his wife, Sandra. He's got some great insights to share with us today about a country that in some ways is similar to Australia, but in other ways, definitely not. Have you visited Japan? I was there about 20 years ago and I was struck by the challenges for Christian ministry. CMS has lots of workers in Japan and as we're about to hear, we have connection with lots more through Stephen's role, but it's hard ground. What if the encouragement for your lifetime service was that things looked about the same after 20 years or more as they did when you first arrived? Would it have been worth going in the first place? Could revival or an explosion of faith in Christ be just around the corner? Well, the reality is we don't know. Maybe it's not, or maybe it's still a long way off. These are hard questions, but they're important, I think, as you consider whether you might go and serve overseas or whether you might devote yourself to long-term committed prayer for a nation or for its workers. What do we pray for and long for? And then how should we set our expectations? And would you give financially if you weren't sure that there would be some kind of result? What if it cost us millions of dollars a year to keep sending workers there? Is that a good investment of our money? It was fabulous to have Stephen and Sandra come to Adelaide briefly around our summer conference this year. These guys are persevering saints. It was so good to just hear some of the things that God is doing in them and through them in Japan. Countless souls around the world who don't know Jesus and can't easily access the gospel this is the heart of mission. What small role can I play in God's big world? Missionaries, cross-cultural specialists, pastors, their stories and perspectives can really help us. Thanks for joining us. Grab a cuppa and strap in as we demystify, decode and de-stress the great challenges of cross-cultural mission. Stephen Parsons, it's great to have you with us on the Heart of Mission podcast. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, oh, thanks for having me. Now you've been a uh, you've been a missionary in Japan with your wife Sandra for twenty six years now. Yeah. Uh, what took right. you over there in the first place? Well, it, a lot of it came down to not finding contentment in in working here in the Australia. I was working in the tax office at the time, and although I really enjoyed my job. There was just something wrong and it took a while to work that out. And I realized that, yeah, what I was doing wasn't really counting for eternity. And I believed that was what God wanted me to do. And so, yeah, I spent a couple of years to work out how to deal with that. Ended up in Bible college, did a missions trip and, um, yeah, God led me to Japan. Like that was the missions trip. And then it was very clear that that's where he wanted me to be. And so, yeah, it's all me, 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 because I was single then. Uh, I found Sandra in that process and uh, God did worked in her life and she found her own calling. And yeah, we were married and went a year later and that was 26 years ago. Wow. 
Fabulous. And you haven't been with CMS that whole time, but you've been with CMS the last how many years? The last 15 years. 15 we've years. Been with, so, yeah, more than half of our time now has okay. been with CMS, yeah. Um, tell us, um, there's quite a few missionaries from CMS in Japan, aren't there? Like there's there's lots and lots. What are the sorts of things that, um, that the CMS missionaries are doing in Japan? Right. Um, CMS is involved in church work, um, both church planning and also uh, establishing the church in Japan and also student ministries. That's uh, the popular and the one that's been going for quite a bit longer with uh, the AFES equivalent over there called KGK. Yeah, and there's uh, other ministries involved connected with those, but they would be the two main areas. Mm. It's an interesting part of the world, isn't it, uh, Japan? I, you know, often missionaries will go to um, places that are materially poor. Japan is not materially poor. Um, you know, why, why would we send missionaries to Japan? Yeah, uh, so many people said that when we left 26 years ago, like, why Japan? They're richer than us. And although they may have more money in their bank accounts, uh, they don't have Jesus and they don't really know about Jesus. And they, uh, Japan is very clearly a gospel poor country in that there's such a small amount of the population that are evangelical Protestant Christians. It's, it's actually around half a percent. So that's a very, very small amount of people. And so although these people do have money and they are, generally speaking, affluent, they're just lost and not um, content. Uh, they're not content with their affluence and they're seeking out lots of different things. They're also, they don't believe in their own traditional religions, although they go through all the the customs that are involved with them in Shintoism and Buddhism. But yeah, they're, they're just lost they're, and searching. And there's lots of things to search for and including more materialism and more prestige and so on, which is the default, it seems, these days. So, okay, that's interesting. They've got a Shinto and Buddhist background, but you're saying not a lot of adherence to that these days. Um, I'm assuming a secularist kind of headset is pretty common? Definitely. On the surface, well, they go to shrines to pray for good luck and they they burn incense to their dead ancestors. So they go through all the motions, but it's just empty. They don't believe in it. So it's a bit like going to church on for Christmas or Easter or even for a wedding or a funeral. A lot of Australians do that, but they don't believe in God. Uh, so it's a very similar kind of thing, but it's a lot deeper. It's more entrenched into who they are as Japanese people. Okay, uh, so there's an identity around the exactly. Buddhist and Shinto background. Exactly. It's very significant. So mm. it's it's a wealthy country, but it's not a Western country. It's an Eastern country. But there, there would be aspects of the culture that would be familiar to Westerners. Just, just how Western or Eastern is it in Japan? Yeah, well, if you travel to Japan, which lots of people do, uh, you'd say, oh, this is a Western country. Like just looking on the surface, they've got their bright neon signs, skyscrapers, people are dressed the similar ways we are. You'd think, oh, Japan's Western. But the longer you're there and you get to know Japanese people, or if you go into country areas especially, you'll notice that their thinking, the way they think, the way that they react to things, it's still incredibly Eastern Asian, very much so. And the West is there. They love the West. They love things from the West and they take on what they can. Some people say they take them on and make them better. Um, yeah, that there's definitely that feeling, but 
the heart of the Japanese is not Western. Mm, that's interesting, isn't it? How things can look one way, but there be there be you're really needing to scratch beneath the surface to to work out how the place is ticking. Exactly. Can we just um, pause on Japan um, generally for a moment? I want to come back there in a few minutes, but I, I want to find out more about your work. Um, you're you're a CMS missionary, but you're also your your our partner there is Team Japan. Team Japan is another mission agency altogether. And your role as the ministry area leader for Team Japan, and you're also the business manager there, uh, your role means that you are overseeing the placement of 64 other missionaries on top of the CMS, well, not the CMS missionaries, you're one of the CMS missionaries, but 64 other missionaries, and that's your role to oversee them. That's a lot of workers um, doing different kind of work. Can you give us a bit of a picture of what those 64 missionaries uh, are doing with Team Japan? We have missionaries spread throughout Japan, uh, involved in lots of different min- ministries, uh, deci- disciples making disciples is the uh, thrust of what Team Japan uh, is about, and a lot of that's in the context of the church. And so we're wanting to see churches in Japan grow and develop. So there is a church in Japan. Uh, It's struggling, um, but there is a church there. So previously church planting was the the big focus and it's still more churches need to be planted, definitely. But there are a lot of, um, or there are Christians there now that have been there for a number of generations. So we see our uh, our role is to help the Christians there, develop the Christians there. They're going to be able to reach the Japanese better than we can. And we want to try and get rid of this facade that Christianity is Western because that's where it fits in in Japan thinking. And, of course, Christianity isn't Western, but we can make it Western in the way that we bring it to a country. So that's one thing we're working really hard on is how can Christianity just be a part of Japan? And that's where I, we see people are struggling or Japanese people are struggling because Japanese culture has a very fixed mind set and it doesn't have Christianity in it, but how can Japanese be Japanese but be Christians as well? And so uh, we find the key to connecting with people is uh, through relationships, both Christians and non-Christians. But through Christians, I think when we can form a relationship with them and trust builds, they're they're wanting to uh, engage better. Where, of course, non-Christians, they're interested in the West anyway. So it's not hard to connect with non-Christians at all, even if they know they are, we are Christians, that's not really an issue to them. They sort of expect it, actually, because we're from the West. Uh, But through the relationship, again, the trust builds, they ask questions and they start seeing that we have purpose in life and they don't. And that's where incredible things can happen. So we're really excited about receiving anyone who is wanting to bring uh, what they have to offer that God's given them uh, into the Japanese context. So you don't just have to be a preacher or a, a teacher. You can be bringing a, a creative art skill with you. You can be bringing um, anything that you believe God can use. And we, if God wants you there, we really want to 
find a place for you so that uh, you can relate to Japanese people and you may be able to get into an area that others can't because of something that comes very natural to you that could naturally attract Japanese people, both Christians and non-Christians, and see a difference. I'd love to um, break this down a little bit. Um, Give us a bit of a picture of what some of the the, the Western appearance of church might be that you, you say isn't going to work in this context. Um, and like, is it is it about the size of churches and our expectation or is it about our services? It is about our structures. I mean, what what are some of those things that we, we might implicitly just bring as a missionary and say, well, we're going to plonk this into Japan and hope it works, but you're saying it doesn't work. Give us a bit of an indication. Uh, I would I would look at the format of church. Uh, the when the missionaries came in after the war, well, they just brought the format of church with them. Um, so the, the old three hymn sandwich kind of idea, that's still very common in churches. And when you look at the hymn book, it's a translation of old hymns, uh, English hymns or German hymns that were English hymns that <laughs> have Japanese to them. And when you're trying to fit the Japanese words into the notes, like you lose a lot of meaning. And so Japanese are singing, Japanese Christians are singing with these wonderful hymns, but they just don't have the same depth as, as what they do to us. I've heard Germans say that about uh, English hymns that have been translated for German. They're just missing a whole lot. And so to see Japanese songs created by Japanese in Japanese, it means they're going to have the depth in them. Translating them into English is going to be hard, and that's fine. Like Japanese need their own music, and there are people doing that, and that is exciting. And that's seeing people being able to worship God more deeply with meat and substance in the words more so than just trying to make sure it fits the melody. Like what would a, an authentic, I mean, I don't know if this isn't a question that's easy to answer, but what, what would a church service look like that, that kind of authentically resonated with the Japanese background? You know, what type of music are Japanese listening to today? Uh, that's the question that needs to be asked and, and really a lot of modern day Japanese music is the same as what we're familiar with. So to have a an organ off to the side, well, because that's a, a bit out of date here and, and it's out of date. Well, they, they didn't have organs in Japan. Uh, there are Japanese instruments that sometimes come into play. Why not? Like that's what they're used to as well, uh, definitely. And the way messages are, are structured they need to be structured in a way that it works for the, the Japanese mindset. So what might that look like? I mean, is it, you know, is it intro three points and a conclusion or is it something different? Japanese talk um, very indirectly uh, in speech and so the message is, yeah, is that something that we need to concentrate more on? These are all questions that we're constantly trying to wrestle with, is how can we restructure things to make them more japanese So some of our points are very direct and, and we're telling people in their face what they need to do. That isn't always the best way in Japan. They've got their own way of doing that. Is that the way they should be talking. So going around in circles for for our mind, it seems like get to the point, get to the point where Japanese are fine with the stories that take you around in circles. And that's the way their their mind's structured. They they learn by rote. Uh, That went out years ago in Australia. (laughs) Um, So is there's more rote learning kind of strategies needed? Uh, A Western will think, well, that's going backwards. Well, 
well, it's not going backwards if that's the way Japan functions. And so thinking through those ways is really important. Even conflict, like if there's conflict in the church, going up to someone and telling them that they did something wrong is highly offensive. And going through another person is the norm. And, and like, that's offensive in Australia. Like, so there's things like that we've got to be on top of and put aside what we think's best and try and understand what is right. But we don't want to compromise what's in the Bible either. So there's juggling those two main things as trying to make it Japanesey, but not compromising what, what the Bible is really saying. Mm. Now, what about size of church? I gather that typically the Japanese churches are smaller than than the churches that we would be familiar with here in Australia. Mm. Tell us about that. Yeah, so churches are often around 20 to 30 people. That's not unusual. But there are bigger churches. So we go to an international church that has 300 in it, uh, and that's looked at as being a large church. Uh, there are other Japanese churches that, yeah, are just Japanese that are over the 100 mark. But that that is a bit unusual. It seems like the smaller groups is what they're more comfortable with. And do they meet in houses or in in community centres or like where would they typically? All places, yeah. So meeting in a house is not unusual. That's how the church planters usually start. Uh, Community places, there there can be restrictions with doing religion uh, in community spaces. Some communities are are more open to that than others. Uh, And there are church buildings as well. And I guess being part of a smaller church as the standard model uh, really prioritises relationship in the church. So what does that look like on a Sunday in terms of how, how those relationships would function in the church? Yeah, in the smaller churches, it's not unusual to have lunch every Sunday. And so it's often provided by the church. Uh, it's a time to fellowship and to Uh, enjoy each other during the week. They're off doing different things. Getting people together during the week is a bigger challenge in Japan. Uh, Sunday, most people have the day off. And so to capitalise on that time through with training and general fellowship, uh, meetings, and uh, yeah, just enjoying each other, getting to know each other is really important. One big distinctive in Japanese culture is the fact that they're a shame-based culture, where Australia is more of a guilt-based culture. So with a shame-based, the shame-based culture, you're really wanting to do what the group's doing, uh, and it's important for you to see what other people are doing and submit to that and to blend in. Where in Australia, there's still an element of that, but there's also the element, well, I can think what I think, you can think what you think, and let's be happy kind of thing, accept each other. And that's becoming stronger and stronger. And it's it's starting in Japan too, actually. But at the core, it's like, if I lose face, that's not going to work for me. And so the church becomes a new group when someone becomes a Christian. And so being a part of that group has such incredible depth and and meaning in itself, very much so. So what happens if somebody, um, I mean, presumably someone might be relocated for their job and so they maybe they move churches or do they? Uh, Because I gather that the membership of a church is pretty, like you can bring shame on the church by saying, I think I'm going to go to the church down the street, which might be something that we do here in Australia at the drop of a hat um, in some cases. Tell us about the Japanese equivalent. Yeah, um, it is very group orientated. So when you're a member of a group, you remain very faithful to that group. And so even if you move 
um, cities. There are times where you still keep your membership there. There are ways to move your membership as well. Um, but it's not unusual to keep sending your tithe and, and getting bulletins and information from the church that you've moved from because that's your church. And of course, you'd be still attending another church. Uh, and there are ways of, of changing that. But there is definitely a sense of, um, I guess, obligation, but also that's not necessarily negative. Uh, it can be, <laughs> but it's not necessarily negative. It's There's also this sense of connection that breaking that connection is is not easy. So back to these 64 missionaries with Team uh, Japan, uh, you've said that they're involved, a lot of what they're doing is discipling, and it's a lot of what you do in your role as well as discipling leaders, discipling missionaries. But as and disciples making disciples, um, how do those missionaries fit into this smaller church model, the Japanese, the, this relationship thing? Tell, tell us what that looks like um, and the diversity of different uh, workers that you have and how they're all trying to achieve this, this kind of goal. Generally speaking, the, the church in Japan is very thankful to the West. <laughs> the West, uh, America and England mainly, uh, did bring um, the church to um, to Japan post-war. And so there's... Um, uh, and it's the same outside the church. Pe- Japanese people just love Westerners. So to have a Westerner turn up in a church, uh, they're very open to that, very thankful for that. And again, as I mentioned before, the, the relationship building, even Christian to like missionary to Christian, is so incredibly important to gain trust to the point where you can really help those people. So the acceptance level is there's no real issue there as far as being part of the group. Being totally accepted as a Japanese person is another story. Even though I've been there for 26 years, I still don't feel totally accepted as a Japanese, but I'll never be Japanese. And it's true, I can't be. I I will never have the Japanese mindset, although I've learned a lot and I've changed the way I react and act uh, in different areas. uh, I'm still not Japanese at, at heart. And so there can be a barrier there as well, a tension uh, that can be frustrating at times. But part of that is part of us uh, learning to be humble and for God to use that as well. That's something that that's God's area of work. <laughs> and for us to not be discouraged by that, but um, to even use that as part of us being a disciple as well and learning. And we're wanting to get that across, that it's disciples making disciples. Missionaries are disciples too. Missionaries don't have it together and go overseas. Missionaries are growing and stumbling and learning as well. And you've mentioned to me before that you, in addition to the sort of the classic working with churches and revitalising and planting churches, um, there's also mission in arts, which involves music and drama and drawing and sculpture. Uh, as well as a mission to TV, radio, publishing. Tell us about that. Yeah, well, with the arts, that's becoming more and more popular. Now, English teaching used to be popular when we first went there and cooking classes. Uh, you can get English classes anywhere now in Japan. Uh, cooking, yeah, there's still an interest there, but nowhere near to the point that it used to be. But the arts, like Japanese people, are, are very creative too, and they may enjoy some Japanese people enjoy drama or playing the guitar or sculpting or, or whatever uh, kind of arts uh, that you enjoy. So by doing that and reaching out to people at that level, it it's amazing what that does because as there's something about the arts that's deep. Like teaching English isn't 
uh, or learning English is more of an intellectual thing, where the arts can be at the being of a person. And so if you're connecting, even if you don't speak Japanese that well, you can be connecting through the arts. That, that's definitely the case in music, but it can be for all the other kinds of arts. And that's the beauty of that. And we're seeing more and more missionaries bringing that with them. And so it's not always done in a church context. They could be going out into the community, going to community groups and and being involved with them. And that is just awesome. Like we're getting into areas where we wouldn't ordinarily go and catching people that would never walk into a church. But through the trust, through the time, through the relationship building, they will start, they often do ask questions and they might come to a church event one day and for the missionary to be connected to the church is a very essential part of that process, that there is a place for for people to go. That's great. Now, you've mentioned and we know from from our uh, from previous episodes and other um, interactions about global mission that being a missionary is hard and your wife, Sandra, is involved in many ways in a support role for those missionaries. Um, and I gather she has a, a brand new title, the Housing Transitions Coordinator. Tell, me, tell us all about um, her role and the way in which she is helping and supporting the ministry of the missionaries in Team Japan. It's funny, just recently, Sandra realised that her name means helper. And that's what her uh, mother and father named her many, many years ago. And that's at the core of of her being. And she has found over the years that uh, when missionaries arrive, uh, it's hard. Like, they don't know where to buy their bed and their fridge and their sheets and even food. Uh, A lot of them don't. They can't speak Japanese, and if they even if they can, they don't know where to go. And so she just loves taking them around and helping them spend their money, get set up, uh, find the things that they need, troubleshoot. Well, I can't get this, but how about this, this, this? She she loves being able to support people in that way. And we have a number of missionaries that are retiring now that have been there 30, 40 years, and their life has been in Japan, and they're having to break down their house. And Sandra's now helping people at the other end of the spectrum and just moving. People are moving in Japan, missionaries, just like people move here. Uh, And yeah, there's similar challenges, even if you've been in Japan for a while, when you're in a different city, you you don't know where things are. And so, uh, yeah, she loves helping out there. She also loves interior decorating as a retreat centre that we have where Christians can come and rest and relax, be rejuvenated, ready for ministry. That's Japanese as well as missionaries and and even overseas groups come too. And it's a... uh, retreat centre where there's cabins, the cabins are are old, there's not a lot of money, and she enjoys being able to refurbish them in a very thrifty way to make them comfortable and a nice place to be. And so it's, again, it's Sandra using gifts that she has that are actually benefiting other people. And that's what we love about our job and love about uh, what the potential of what missionaries can do. It's an awesome uh, uh, role that you both have, you know, the ability to connect with such a, uh, a, a large number of missionaries and both to be doing it at a, a big picture strategic level but also to be doing it at a very practical level and providing those supports. So just um, what I, I guess I want to finish by thinking about Japan um, and where it's up to where Japan is up to with the gospel. You mentioned earlier, very small number of evangelicals there. Does does that give you, um, does that discourage you when there's a very small number? Tell us. 
Yeah, as young missionaries, it was very discouraging. You'd put a lot of time into things and not many people turn up. And and that was hard. Uh, It became very hard. But it was a very important lesson because it, it helped us to see the line between what our responsibility is and what God's responsibility is. We can't make people Christian. We could put a gun to their head or a knife to, and then they'll say, yes, I'll become a Christian, but that's not what we want. Uh, we want God's Spirit to be working in people. So all we can do is be faithful uh, in what God's given us. And that's what has brought joy. And that's what we're trying now, as now we're a bit older, we're trying to help our younger missionaries when they when they get to the point of seeing, wow, what I thought I could do here is not showing results. Uh, the results are not what we're there for. <laughs> we're there to be Jesus to these people and show Jesus to these people. We want the world to know Jesus and that's what we're all about and to focus on that. We know that in our, in our heads, but we've really got to taste that to the point that we don't get discouraged when things don't work out the way that they we thought they would. Again, COVID has been helpful for that. I think that's helped a lot of us to get used to that concept where things don't work out at the last minute and you've got to make changes. That's all really helpful. God's in control of that. There's a reason why the churches aren't exploding and there's mass conversions all around Japan. We don't know. God knows. God's got that in hand. God wants us there, and we need to be doing what God wants us to do, and and control, concentrate on the things that we can control, not the things we we can't control. And yet, the Holy Spirit really is at work. Um, he, you know, he is changing um, young people. And although the, the the graph, if you were looking at the graph of people of Christians in Japan, although there may not be a significant upturn at this point in the curve, there are nevertheless young generations are coming to faith. And that's that that gives you comfort and courage, doesn't it? Tell us about that. The, the Spirit's working. Like when we left 26 years ago, it was 0.46% or something or other. It's, it's close to 0.5 now. And it's like, wow, nothing's happened. Well, Lots has happened. Um, Japanese Christians have died <laughs> and the percentage has stayed the same. So it's very clear that um, at least the, the rate of Christianity is actually being maintained and has been maintained over the period of time that we're familiar with. Uh, so people are coming to know Christ, but it's incredibly slow. It's one by one, and, and it's through this relationship building. Ten years for someone to make a decision isn't unusual. So we're just busy throwing seeds here, there, and everywhere, and the, and it's more than throwing seeds, actually, because you are getting really close to different people, and you see people that were just totally against this religious rubbish asking questions and and wanting to know God. We've had people come to our international church. Uh, to them, it's free English. They say, oh, I've got no interest in religion, but I can hear English here. I can talk with Westerners. Uh, I'm going to come. And there's been numerous times where later we've seen them grab earphones because there's simultaneous translation going on in Japanese. And it's like, why are you listening through earphones? And they're saying, well, we want to know what's going on. And then later we see that they're coming to Christ. It's just amazing. We've seen that under our noses. And it's really just us being a church. And these people that that have been brought into the Western side and the English side have actually found God in the middle of it. 
And and that's beautiful. So yeah, definitely seeing that happening is encouraging. I'd like to think that we'd still be encouraged without seeing it happen. (laughs) And there are lots of mystery stories like that where they've seen absolutely nothing and then later there's been a huge revival. And I can't help but think that that could be happening too in Japan, that there's a, a lot has happened over these last 26 years that we know of and beyond that as well. Is there going to be something that God's going to do that will just catch us by surprise? It's happened in Korea. It's happened in different parts of Africa. Maybe it will happen in Japan one day. We don't know. That's God's area. We just need to be faithful and do what God sent us there to do. What would you say to the person who's considering going overseas and they're, perhaps they've just today heard of Japan and they well, not heard of Japan, but they've just suddenly thought, I wonder if Japan could be a location to go and serve. What, what would you say to that person about uh, discerning that decision and and what, what it could look like? Yeah, asking questions, talking about it, uh, understanding what mission's about is, is all incredibly important. And in that process, it comes down to one thing and it's being obedient. Like 26 years ago, God said, go to Japan and we went to Japan period. Like that's, uh, it's more involved than that, but that's what it comes down to. So if if God is challenging you in some area, I think just focusing on being obedient to God is all, whether you end up in Japan or in Iraq or in uh, Vanuatu or wherever you end up, that God will make that clear as time goes on. Um, but to not ignore it, um, to process it. I took two years to let go of my life to go to Bible college to try and discover what God wanted for me. Um, you've used the time that God's giving you, but be sure you're being obedient uh, in, in the process. And there could be things that God is doing with you here in Australia very specifically to prepare you for what's happening with new job job opportunities, uh, responsibilities in the church, even different circumstances in your family can lead you down a track where you thought you'd never go. And God can use that. And he can use that in Japan and in other countries around the world too. So seeking out and, and not keeping quiet about it, not avoiding it, just going with the flow is... <laughs> is I think the best thing to do and and keep asking what does obedience mean for me as far as doing what God's wanting of me. Well, Stephen Parsons, we are very excited by the ministry that you and Sandra are doing in Japan and we look forward to hearing about you returning and God continuing to use you both in that context. But for now, thank you so much for being part of the Heart of Mission podcast. Yeah, thank you very much. Next episode, we have Mike and Karen Rowe joining us. They are serving in Cape Town, South Africa, in the area of theological education. Now, I don't know what you think of when you hear of theological education, maybe something for someone else, maybe one of those hurdles that you just have to jump over if you want to be a minister or a missionary or, you know, a clever person in your home group. Well, no, I don't think it's a hurdle. It's really exciting, actually, something that under God can make a massive difference. That's because theological education is intrinsically connected with the vitality and faithfulness of the church. Wherever we're talking about, the Spirit of God works through the Word of God, planting it deeply within our minds and hearts, enabling us to know Him and make Him known truthfully. And that's what we want from our ministers, right? We want them to be taught the truth and warned about error. 
Of course, there's no right college that you must go to, although I do think there are colleges you should avoid. The point is, who is teaching our ministers and what are they being taught? And what about Africa, where the growth of the church has been so extraordinary over the past hundred years? Is theological education keeping up with church growth? As we're going to hear in the interview with the Rose, Africa is a diverse place, but it doesn't matter where you are. The church needs good theological education. And that's not just about getting your doctrine right, although it does include getting your doctrine right. Anyway, I should stop. Enough for now. I can't wait for you to hear that interview. In the meantime, to find out more about CMS and opportunities that might be there for you, search us on the web to find your local branch and local social media channels. CMS is a fellowship of Christian people and churches committed to global mission. We work together to set apart long-term workers who cross cultures to share the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ for a world that knows Jesus. See you next time.